It's the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood, the only Baltimore podcast selling beer after the third inning. Banks, a tough plate for you today. You go to the Orioles game, beer just not being sold at the proper times. A tough end to a great season. Yeah, listen, I get that there's a doubleheader policy. It appears to be the Orioles policy. I looked it up whether or not there's an MLB policy or an Orioles policy. It seems to be an Orioles policy. I guess at doubleheaders, they stop serving, what, four and a half hours after the first pitch of the first game or something like that. But here's what's, what I see is fucked up about it is that this was always a four o'clock game. It was from the start. It was scheduled to be a four o'clock game way out. People looked at it, said, oh, this is game 162. This could really matter. And four o'clock is like a reasonable enough time where it's like, I could get in there. I could cut out of work. I could get there. I could be there by the first inning. I could get in there by the third inning or at least some point in the game. Um, and because it rained out the previous day, they try to glob it together. And so you get less value on your single game ticket just because the previous day gets, you know, rained out. It's BS. It's also like, why are we even doing this anymore in terms of like, you go to soccer games in Europe there's no cutoff for booze. They just keep selling it. Like they'll sell to you as long as they want. There's, there's even bars on the club level at the Raven Stadium that stay open an hour past the uh, the final kick or the final play. And it's like, what are like? It's just a farce to say that we're trying to avoid drunk driving or whatever. Anybody who wants to drink and keep drinking is going to go cross the street to pickles, and then they're going to drive home. They're going to make bad like people make bad decisions. If people want to get drunk, they're going to get drunk. They're going to find ways to get drunk. Like. It's just such a farce. It's just such a, like, excuse or I don't even know what. But I don't get it, though. Like, what's the upside? Like, they could have sold so much more beer today. And Wonder, is, it a, is it a liquor license thing? I can't imagine so. I don't know. Sorry. It's a sorry to, Sell me beer. Sorry to hear. Yeah. Something yeah, it's a little bit bizarre. I mean, I, I I guess I understand why they have the alcohol policy, just because you're trying to limit your amount of liability and things like that in the stadium. But felt like a situation where they probably could have continued to sell today. I don't know. It's it, 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 yeah. So many more people were coming just for the second game because it was a much more reasonable game time to go to a game, and they're the ones who get shafted. So just figure it out. Just fix it. Just like, I don't see anybody who's opposing this, you know, changing that rule. So just, just change it. Just change it. It just sucks for it to be game 162 where it's like an appreciation this, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Hey, we had a great season. And it's like, but God forbid you have a beer in the fifth inning. Tough. RDT, you have any beer tri- problems with the Orioles games this year and all the ones you attended? Want to get that out of the way? You want to go on it? You want to? You want to? Got anything you want to get off your chest? No, but my buddy, when I went with him, shout out to Chris Street. His big move is whenever they go da na 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 da na, and everyone goes charge. He he goes less for beer, and it gets a laugh every time out of the section. People people really really enjoy that. So I've heard that one before. Yeah, I I that was new to me. I never heard that. So that's my uh, that's my only. I'm not a big in the stadium beer drinking i'll have maybe one it's just the prices like i'll go to pickles and i'll have five or six before we go in and then when i because again it's like i don't really want to pay 1450 
for you know a Coors Light, a Miller Light. Uh, totally yeah. reasonable, but even yeah. more reason for them to sell it. Yeah. I, again, I mean, it's it's. I don't know. I, I I'm I, I'm perfectly fine with going to Pickles and buying rounds there, and then weaning off when I get in. Mostly also because you, most of the time I will have my child with me, so can't really, you know, get sloshed or thrown back mm-hmm. like I used to. Let's start with the Baltimore Orioles, shall we? We're going to get into Ravens. We're going to do a starting five of worst sports collapses. But And normally on these football season shows, we begin with the Ravens. We're going to have a lot of shows to begin with the Ravens as we move forward, as the Orioles move into the offseason. So let's start with the now um, now season-completed Baltimore Orioles, 83-79 and 79 to end the year, 45-36 and 36 at home, 38-43 and 43 on the road, a run differential of minus 14, into the playoff, or remained in the playoff race until about a week ago, like four days ago. October 1st um, in the morning, October, early, early hours of October 1st. Got into October. October with a chance to make the playoffs. They totally and wildly outperform expectations. Um, they bring up a number of the young stars that we've been waiting for, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rushman, DL Hall, to name a few. Um, they really bring the city to life over the course of the summer as they on their run to going over 500. Post going over 500 and then kind of getting, you know, six, seven, eight games above, they pretty much just played 500 ball down the stretch and they end four games above, which is great. But I wouldn't say they like generated as much excitement as they never really fully pulled themselves totally into the playoff race in the last month, or at least, you know, in a position to, to, you know, be in a wild card slot with about a month to go. Um, they got there at one point, but, um, you know, didn't really challenge that hard down the stretch, but all in all, uh, a season that has an amazing amount of positives. So I will leave you both to give your general thoughts, which we've done a couple times the last few weeks, and then we'll go through some superlatives um, among players to get a little detailed, but RDT, you are the, you're the voice of Orioles Twitter, the king of Orioles Twitter, elected in a in a you know a couple of years ago, the king of the president. What were you? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I forget what the title was. Sum up what this Orioles season says for you now and in the future. I mean, this it, they're they're just like you said, they exceeded all expectations. Like we're not even supposed to be at the appetizer yet. Like I f- I feel like next year is really going to be the appetizer to see kind of what or at least it was supposed to be what we're working with what we're going to have you know some of them the you know make some free agent signing some trade stuff like that just to see what the team is really going to look like going forward when they're ready to compete and it's like oh shit they kind of jumped ahead and again like you said they were competing the entire summer i mean if if we would have told you at the beginning of this you know when we did our preview hey the Orioles will be eliminated from playoff contention on October 1st. You would have said this, this is the biggest Homer podcast ever. Like there's no way this this is not possible. And again, I mean, they, 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 they beat Vegas. They killed Vegas. I know the horseshoe said they were having, they had a horrible summer strictly because of the Orioles. Like they blew every projection expert, everything out of the water. Um, And, and it's, it's just, again, I'm trying to make this analogy. It's like, they, they just they they were great they and again people say oh well you know they won 83 games it's not a great season i think by their expectations and standards it was a great season um it you know it sucked early on to lose means and and i think everyone kind of had a you know 
my again, my buddy told me that they would lose 120 games. And it was like, I don't think they're that bad. Like, but again, nobody saw them winning 83 games. No one saw them holding a playoff spot deep into the summer. No one saw them, you know, competing for a wild card spot in into October. Um, and, and I was thinking earlier, like I like during spring training, it was like, all right, all we want is Adley. That's all we want. We just want to see Adley. Then he got hurt and it was kind of like, all right, well. Well, we'll see him eventually. And then it was like, okay, this team, you know, we all, all we want is to like have fun. And then it was like, okay, well now they're having fun. And now all we want is, you know, once Adley comes up, okay, well now all we want to see is Adley do well. And he didn't, but then it's like, all right, now all we want to see is them get five games under 500. Now all we want to do is see them get to 500. Now we want to see them get to 10 games over 500. And then it's like, now we want to see him hold a playoff spot. So it's like we had all the, the the expectations like came throughout the season and it was just it was crazy to see again just how well they were playing and because we talked about it a couple times like oh yeah if they can hold on to the end of the summer it'll you know be a, a good sign for things to come in the future and it's like well they more than held on they they again they surprised the hell out of everyone so and and the thing is too is like it's not done it's not like oh yeah they emptied the farm system there's no more guys down there no they still have a totally packed farm system. Elias still said, you know, one through 10 is one of the most stacked he's ever seen. I mean, Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, you got, you got these guys, Grayson, we didn't see, you got all these guys who we're going to see next year. And, and just, you know, Heston Kerstad's down in Arizona. He's already hit a home run in fall ball. Like there are guys who are still going to come up next year and make these, make these, these leaps. And again, I mean, we're going to get hopefully a full season out of Gunner full season out of Adley, full season out of DL. So it's like, this is as fun as this was next year has the potential to be so much more fun. And like we've talked about a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, they're going to make trades. They're going to make free agent signings. They're, you know, like Elias said, like lift off, like next year's liftoff. It's going to happen. So now we just kind of sit back and, and it, it was, it was interesting today seeing obviously the end of the season, everyone's now like, usually at this point, it's like, Thank God that's over. Like now we can focus just on the Ravens. A lot of people were already focusing on the Ravens by this point, you know, for the last couple of years, but now it's like, damn, I kind of just want to fast forward to the winter meetings. I just want to get the free agency. Like this is, you know, people are itching just for more, for more Orioles baseball. They want the Orioles news. So it, it was awesome to see the season and how much fun the guys had. Like, I don't know if you saw the video today on social, but after the game, you know, they came out and they were waving to the crowd, the fan or the Orioles were, and Adley had tears in his eyes. It's like this is, you know, this nobody nobody ever would have expected how he would have how he performed, how the young guys would have were, you know, came up and performed the the how they finished the regular season. I mean, nobody expected it. So it was it was a great surprise. I think it was a lot of fun. I hope that it brought back a lot of the casual fans who again would have tuned out in August, which is totally fine. I get it. Um, I hope it brings a lot of them back and and I hope we have this kind of renaissance period. And it, it's, you know, it it fits because today is the 10 year anniversary of that 2012 wildcard game. You know, I, I hope that this was the 2011 se- season for the, you know, for this next couple of years. Like you set the te- you set the table and then next year, I don't think a wildcard spot is out of the question, especially with that extra one added. So. It's going to be a lot of fun in the offseason, a lot to talk about. And, you know, again, it sucks this season's over, but I'll take 83 wins any day, any day with this team, with the schedule, with the competition they played. You know, I had I had more fun than than I've had in a lot in a long time watching this team. So 
very proud of them and, and the guys and the coaching staff and how they performed. And again, nothing, nothing but positive stuff came from this year. Thanks. I think that was a really complete summary, to be honest. Um, I, the one thing that I think about when I'm looking towards the future is like, why, why not think about the division? I mean, wild card, of course, I mean, we know how tough the division is and how many, I mean, we finished fourth at the end of the day, 83 and 79 is, is good for any team. It's great when playing in this division, but there's still three teams ahead of us, but there's no reason why we shouldn't look at things. And I mean, even with the way, um, Elias was talking about the team. What was it? Was that this morning or was it yesterday? No, it's today it was before the game. Th yeah. This morning, like just like you said a few weeks ago, like it's go time. Like we are cementing ourselves as players in this division. So just hearing those words, not for the first time, but like hearing them again and hearing them as in like a reflective tone about the season makes this season just like, yeah, this was a really cool season. Like it's almost like the team as a whole had their debut. You know, you think about Adley, you think about Gunner, they had their individual debuts. They had their magical moments. They perform well. But this team as a whole, this, like, new culture, this new era of baseball arrived this year, and that's what I'm going to remember for sure. Um, it sucks, of course, that, like, we were kind of right there on the verge and it looked like something might happen. But I really think this team just expended all their emotional energy just getting us there you have to remember there were 10 games under 500 at mid-May. So you look at what their, their body of work forward from that, and especially it's no coincidence when Adley came up, it's a really good baseball team. And the way Elias is going to approach it in the off season and, and supplement this roster is going to be with that type of attitude. And that's, that's music to everybody's ears around here because we've just gone through so many off seasons, not just in this rebuilding phase, but there were off seasons in a lot of, rebuilds or reloads or whatever you want to call them over the years in Baltimore here um, where we just didn't really do much of anything. And I think, you know, we'll have conversations as the, the weeks come along. And so everybody around Baltimore as to what are the areas to target because there are some surpluses in some areas and those are potential test pieces to try to supplement the roster in other places. It's going to be a really interesting off season. That's, really the first time we can say that about any Orioles team since 2016 into 2017, probably. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great day to be a Baltimore Orioles fan. Yeah. I think just adding a couple of things on what you guys said, I think that's all very well said. The one thing I would say already to you touched on, this is a great season. I, there's no other definition. I mean, you could use the word spectacular if you wanted. I mean, no one expected, as you guys said, no one expected them to get this far but also not just in the win-loss and the fact that it was elevated um, and not just in the potential of the young players, which you guys touched on, and those guys coming you know, coming up and coming good for the most part, which is so vital in terms of what they're going to do the next six, seven years. But also, it's and Banks, you use the word culture, and I would say that there seems to be some organizational stability that in the past – has not been there. And even when, you know, they, and maybe it was just sort of the magic of Buck Showalter that got them in that, you know, 2012 to 2016 type of run that, you know, they turned around and got the most out of it. And, and the front office did some good things, but it seems like of any time in Orioles history, maybe the last 20, 25 years, they are totally set up for success long-term, not only in 
the players in the organization, but it seems like all of the leadership of the right are the right people. Mike Elias seems to totally have, you know, his beat on how he's structured the organization. I think Brandon High has done an unbelievable job going from a guy that was essentially sent to slaughter for the last two to three years to just lose game after game after game to a guy that managed the team in a playoff race, has stayed the same guy the entire time, never got too high, never got too low, and seems to be a guy that players respond to and seems to be a guy that makes players better. And underneath of him, both in the major league coaching staff and in the minor leagues, the organizational philosophy and how they're developing players is not only helping guys that are super highly touted, but they're getting the best out of guys that were both previously retreads. You think of Cedric Mullins or Jorge Mateo or all of these pitchers that they brought in this year and figured out how to make the best that they could be. And, you know, early in the year, all three of us for, you know, three, four weeks were like, this is so great that they're pitching so well, but this is going to come crashing down at some point. It just has to. And that wasn't anything against those guys. It just was, you were just playing the percentages of what those, a lot of those players had already had always been. And that just never happened. And that is a statement to what the organizational structure and philosophy and how they're teaching and how they're going about their business. And we've gotten hints of that from when we've had those minor league guys on the show. We've talked about that DL Grayson Adley and talking about the player development, all those things, but you know, it's not, not hard to necessarily develop Adley Rushman. It's hard to identify Jorge Mateo, bring him in and have him be an electrifying player. Um, who's, you know, one of the league leaders in stolen bases and, you know, is a guy that, fills in a spot until you bring up one of those guys. Like they have done a good job building depth and putting pieces and using those pieces to trade. I just think that they're just firing all cylinders. I think they're doing it from, you know, a lot of their like marketing and, and social media, they're firing all cylinders there too, where I think four, three, four, five years ago, they weren't doing that. And that's helped capture the attention of the city. They're nimble and they've done a great job exposing player personality. So all throughout the organization, that's what makes me really, really excited. Partly more than just, you know, couple of players at the top or the fact they had a good year is that it just seems like it's going to be very sustainable. Um, so I think that is even the most of what it defines it as a great season is what it seems to be leading towards is very, very exciting. And I think as you guys both said, if you're a Baltimore sports fan, who's been out on the Orioles, or if you're an Orioles fan, that's been tortured for years and years and years, this just had to have been such a fun ride. And I'm so glad that the fans today gave those guys a standing ovation. And the players responded to that. That is a true bond between a team and a city. And that is what creates really, really special things down the road. So what a fun year it will. This will be a year. I think we remember for a long time as you know, a turning point. And even if it's somehow not a turning point, this will always be a really fun year after so many bad ones. We won't remember it as fondly, but you know, all of the things that happened were, we're awesome. Uh, a couple superlatives so we can drive some conversation here. Uh, first, your most valuable player, RDT. We do. We can kind of run through these quick with a couple notes on guys. Your most valuable player overall. I mean, it, it's chalk. <clears throat> it has to be Adley. I think it, it has to be. I know. I don't know the exact number, but he had a top five rookie catcher war of all time up there with like guys like Johnny Bench and Buster Posey. A couple other names I'm forgetting, but here his numbers on the season. 254, 362 on base, 445 slugging for an 807 OPS, 13 home runs, uh, 65 walks to 86 strikeouts, and 35 doubles. It's an Orioles rookie record. I think it's a catcher's record as well. Um, and this is all from Nathan Ruiz. Baltimore finished 50 and 34 in games he was a starting catcher. That's a 96 uh, win pace. I, it, it, that is, it's just unbelievable. 
And and obviously, I mean, his slow start. I, I mean, you know, those numbers could could should could could be even better. But again, he had that bad first month, maybe four or five weeks, you want to call it. Um, it just seemed like everything he did was was unbelievable. And Banks, you talked about it. The second that he came up was was when everything changed. And and you know, it just I don't think that's a coincidence. He just he was everything that we've been promised and more. Like his defense was great. Um, his batting, I mean, his eye is one of the best in baseball, it seems like. He's drawn, you know, a ton of walks and he's a great hitter. And and it's he's a leader in the clubhouse already. He's a leader with the pitching staff. He he has to be the 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 most valuable guy. I think the other names for the, like, I think it's five plus war in a rookie season. I think it was uh, Johnny Bench, Carlton Fisk, Herman Munson, and Buster Posey. Oh, no, it was Mike Piazza, not Posey. But look, I mean, look at that company. Yeah. I mean, they're, it's you, unbelievable. You don't company. get, you don't get better names than that. Those, I think, are all Hall of Famers, except for maybe Munson. I'm not sure if he is, but he also has career cut short. So, like, you know. Yeah, I think it's Adley. I think you, though, for the reasons you guys said, I don't think there's much more to add. He looks to be a centerpiece franchise guy for a decade plus at a premium position. And other than that, a guy that seems to be beloved in the clubhouse and a great leader and is going to be beloved in the city. It just feels like a fr- if what he what he was on the draft, he is turning into and that doesn't happen all the time with the number one pick. And we've seen I mean, we've and we've seen I've, I think about this a lot. Like we've seen plenty of top guys come up. And it's like, like, I think they said Weeders. So what, what was Adley's war? Like 5.4, I think they said. I guess. And, and also those, those guys have all, those guys all played 130 plus games with over 500 plate appearances. And Adley's like 115 and 425, 430, something like that on those ex- numbers. So like, exactly. And someone, someone, I forget who tweeted this it may have been my buddy, Ryan Blake, but he said, um, or he tweeted that, Adley's war this year was higher than any war in Matt Weider's, you know, single season career. And it's like, that's, again, we've seen guys come up top prospects for the Orioles, especially, and just never turn out to be what we thought they were. And it seems like, like you said, Adley is the one that is promised. Like, it seems like he 100% is. Um, and real quick too, this is a funny stat from locked on Orioles. This was uh, last two nights ago. So I don't think this has changed, but walks through 112 career games. Adley Rutschman, 64. Barry Bonds, 64. So I'll let you uh, finish that sentence, you know. He's on a first 162-game average. He's over 50 doubles. Well, you think he finished in the low 30s? 35. 30s even? 35, yeah. 35. I mean, let's, first off, let's pay some respects to Manny Machado and what he was when he came up. I mean, he's the one guy who wasn't quite – Again, it's a whole other conversation of whether Weeders was a bust and those whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, damn it, I lost my train of thought completely. Manny Machado. Manny Machado. Shit. Doubles, doubles. Manny Machado doubles, doubles 50. Doubles. I mean, he had 50. Yes, he had doubles. 50 doubles in his rookie doubles. year. He was incredible. Manny Machado was filling it up with doubles in, the, I think, his second season. Yeah. Those, sure yep, enough, 50. those all became bombs eventually. Yep. So – you look at these doubles from Adley, I'm sure that things project differently. I mean, you know, Manny was like 20, 21 when he came up. Fred, so there's a little bit of a different skinny and lanky. And yeah, there's Adley's. a little bit of a different trajectory there. But mm-hmm. I mean, doubles are going to turn into home runs for Adley here. 
So it's just there's still upside for him. And he's already what he is, which is incredible. And this lends to the point that I forget who it was, but someone had said, like, when they drafted him, Adley's floor is is a is a top 10 catcher in baseball. His ceiling is an MVP candidate. And it's like, yeah, I I think that that seems about right. Like, you know, he'll probably be a top three. I mean, you can make the argument that he's the top two, top three catcher in baseball behind Will Smith, uh, Real Muto, guys like that. So, yeah, like you said, I mean, you know, he's only going to get better. Like he's, which is, it's terrifying. And and it should be terrifying for other teams. And it's great news for the Orioles. So He barely hit right-handed this year, Mm -hmm. but he has the ability to. He, there was his only full year in the minors. He hit better right-handed than left-handed. So, there's all kinds of room for upside there too. Best pitcher. I, I I may go. I may go Perez. Add I, a, Perez. I so I don't know if you guys saw this this stat too. So I I'm, I got all my stats, all my tweets with stats in it right here. This was tweeted out earlier, and let me see who tweeted it. Um, lowest single season ERA by an Orioles pitcher, minimum 50 innings. Zach Britton, 0.54 in 2006. Perez, CNL. I can't, I can't pronounce his name. I think it's CNL. Has to be CNL Perez, 1.40 in 2022. He was really, really, really good. And like he, again, he's a middle reliever, so it doesn't get talked about. There are tons of other guys. You could talk Bautista, you could talk the first half, Jorge Lopez. Um, Jordan Lyles, all those guys, but Perez was just, he was really, really good. I think, um, I think he's the most underrated player on the team this year, seven and one record. That's it's whatever the win loss doesn't really matter. Um, I, I was very impressed with him though. And, and the stuff that we saw from him and he, there was a great piece in the athletic on him earlier this week too. I don't know if you guys read that about his story and how he came here. I, Dan Duquette tried to sign him in like 2015. And I, I, I had no idea. It's a whole story about how he, uh, how he came over from Cuba and, you know, Mike Elias and them tried to sign him. Then something happened and they dropped the deal. Um, Duquette tried to sign him. Something else happened. They had to drop it. it. It's a crazy story. And then they talked about when they saw his name on the waiver wire, Elias, like immediately was like, we have to get him because he, he falls into, and we talked about this during the season. One of these guys who Elias has worked with before, and, and with the team they have now with the equipment, with the software, says something's wrong with him, but I, we can fix him. And lo and behold, they fix him. I think he's one of the better relievers in the AL. Um, he, he really, really surprised me. I was, I was Again, I had no idea who this guy was coming into the year, a waiver claim with some wild hair. The Cincinnati Reds didn't want him. If they don't want him, and it's like, what, what the hell are we doing picking him up? I thought he was, he, he was kind of like the, the Brad Brock of the 2014 season where he just came in. He was a, a, a hell of a guy to come in out of the bullpen, a lefty weapon. So I'm, I'm going kind of off course and I'm going CNL Perez with my uh, best pitcher. Thanks. I mean, I love him too. Uh, he brings a different energy to the mound. Mm-hmm. I think his stock really took a hit when as a lefty, when the three batter minimum came into play. And so he was just a bargain to be had. And just because he's left-handed doesn't mean he can't get guys out. Multiple guys, righties, lefties, whatever. He got them all out. He was great. Um, if I were to go a different direction, like maybe try to 
talk a little bit about a starter. I think Dean Kramer really came came around, mm-hmm. especially in the second half. There were some some serious starts there where he was absolutely brilliant. Um, there were you know some black guys here and there, and I think that's just kind of what you get with a young pitcher who's coming up. I, he was a guy who I think there was some excitement. He came up. What did, did he come up in the short season in 2020? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, made, yeah, he was yeah. good. Yeah, he, he pitched he, well, he and starts. I think there was excitement around him. And 2021 didn't go so well. He took had some a really good start loss. at Yankee Stadium at one point that I know he got did. a lot of people excited. And right, and so I think coming into this season, it was kind of a well, I don't know if this guy's really going to pan out. I don't know what's going to happen with him. And he, he, you know, everybody has a learning curve. It's there's a trajectory, and you got to throw guys out there, give them chances, and um, you you kind of look. I mean. I'm just kind of looking at the page here in terms of pitcher war. He led the team. Um, he just nudged out Perez by 0.1. Um, but yeah, he, he's kind of cemented himself in the rotation here moving forward. Um, and as we've talked about in terms of the young talent coming up and, and what we've got on hand and what we could potentially go after in the off season, like that's a, primo spot that these pitchers are going to want to have you know he's he's earned it he he also people forget i mean he started the year in the bullpen like he got hurt warming up i think on opening day coming to like coming into the game so yeah it's kind of like uh, i like i was ready to pack his bags for him uh, yeah. kinda, it was kind of like, very much ready to pack his bags yeah and and again i mean he's one of my jewish brothers you know happy's pitching for team israel pumped about that um but yeah, I mean, he was unbelievable. He 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 he's the by far the I think the best starter. Um, but you know, and also I, I mean, a guy like Kyle Bradish who really came on late. You know, him and him and Kramer putting together the starts back to back down in Houston, I believe. But yeah, Kramer was awesome. Um, and I know when I talked to Dallas Braden when he, they when the A's were in town, he was talking about how they were looking at Kramer's stuff with the the spin rates and analytics and all that, and he said. He's an, an analytics monster. Like his numbers don't make sense. His spin rates are crazy. His curveball is nuts. And and so he, you know, it's not just like, a, you know, the Orioles, the Orioles know he's good. It's like other teams are now like, oh, this Kramer guy is, you know, has got it going on. So, yeah, he's I, that's I mean, it's it's hard to argue with with Kramer. He was he was great. And like I'm I'm with you. I think he's cemented himself into the rotation for next year. You know, he had hell too. you know, he could be he could be the opening day starter, you know. Would not, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't, you know, go out and sign a big name or anything. I could see him being your opening day starter. I'm going to go another direction. We'll have it be three different people. I thought that Felix Bautista the entire year was great, and he had an amazing moment after Jorge Lopez got traded where he just assumed the closer role and was just pumping fastballs past people in very exciting games. And it's just sort of like the classic gigantic reliever that is very fun to watch through the baseball. <laughs> I thought that he was a guy that really endeared himself to the fan base. And uh, I enjoyed his work throughout the entire year. I thought there was the potential when Jorge Lopez got traded for there to be, you know, an issue with that, you know, who gets the ninth inning, blah, 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 blah. And he just took it and said, yeah, I'm just going to do this every single time and, and be great. So uh, I very much enjoyed Felix Batista's work this year. Uh, biggest surprise for you guys from the 2022 Orioles. I'll take Banks's guy and I'll say Dean Kramer. 
Because again, like the, like the reasons I just talked about, I was ready to trade. I was ready to not even trade him, but just kind of get him out of here, you know, whatever, get whatever you can for him, but probably nothing. And, you know, was ready to call the Machado, the Machado trade even worse than it seemed to be. But again, he shocked me. I think he shocked everyone. And I think that's the picture that the Orioles thought they were getting um, in that Manny deal. So I'll, I'll keep that kind of short and sweet and say Dean Kramer is my most surprising uh, O's player. Thanks. Hmm, specific name. Hmm. I think Jorge Mateo is a nice tree. That's I mean, also mine. That thought that he was going to be, you know, terrible or anything, but I think that he provided a lot of excitement and a lot of energy. And he played obviously a, you know, near top of the league defense at a premium position there at shortstop. And, there were periods when his when his bat heated up that he was just an absolute weapon. Um, you know, he flies on the bases. Like there's just he's just a very exciting baseball player to watch. He's a fan favorite. Um, so that's my pick. That's also mine. Yeah, for all the reasons you said. Um, you know, ultimately the, the numbers aren't amazing, but just very exciting. And a guy that I thought at the beginning of the year when he was getting trotted out there, you were like, ah, this is a guy that they could like DFA at some point. You know, if they find yeah. other people that like, and he made himself into a, yeah, yeah, take your pick of those kind of guys. And yeah. he blossomed into a fan favorite and a very, very exciting player who I, I hope plays some sort of role next year. He, he forced himself into the, the conversation because it was like, oh, okay, well maybe they can bring up, you know, someone or they could sign someone. And then, yeah, it's just like, no, he's, he, he has to be in the lineup every day because like you said, when his back got hot, it was hot. And he's just an he's an absolute weapon on the base paths, and and he may win a Gold Glove at shortstop. So yeah, that's 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 a very good pick too by you guys. Uh, biggest disappointment? I think it's easy. I think it's Austin Hayes. Um, he went from a guy who I was pretty like this is a guy that they can build around. This is a guy that they can have in you know in the outfield for a while to a guy who I'm not sure will be on the team next year. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to pull up his stats now, his stats after he hit the, 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 when he hit for the cycle and I believe it was July. I have him in front of me. If you want me to, re- want me, want me to read them off 16 yeah, homers, who- 35 dublays. Uh, he hit two, he slashed two fifty, uh, three Oh six, four thirteen, 2.3 war. Not, not great. Um, you know, again, you kind of want more out of the, you know, I mean, two stone bases, not, I'm not that I'm harping on that, but you know. I thought I always thought he was kind of faster and and would be more of a weapon like that. But I mean, his numbers and again in the second half, which I'm trying to pull up. um, Let me let me get these. His second half numbers are probably are are probably very awful. Post all Uh, post all star break. I've got him in front of me. Um, He hit two twenty slash two twenty one two seventy eight three forty eight with four home runs and 12 doubles in 204 at-bats, 58 games. Yeah, that's, I mean, again, and his, I think his first half, I was even campaigning like, hey, this this guy could be an all-star for the Orioles, you know, in the first half. And then he, whatever happened after that cycle against the Nationals, he just went so downhill. Like, we didn't need him to hit 300, but 221 in the second half is, you know, 278 OBP is, is not, I mean, it's awful. 14 walks in 58 games in the second half is just not going to cut it. Um, I think his defense is, is good. I, I don't know how well he grades out, but um, 
again, I, I think he's up for arbitration, I believe, maybe. Um, but he's a guy that, again, I could see maybe getting non-tendered and that, you know, that opens up a spot for a Colton Kowser or against someone who they just, you know, sign or, or a trade or something like that. If they can, you know, if he's included in a trade, again, it wouldn't shock me. Um, I'm not going to be like furious if he comes back. I, I I wouldn't hate him as a fourth outfielder, but I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he is going to be a guy that the Orioles, you know, look at going forward and are like, this is a guy who is going to be here in two or three years. So he, he was, he's, I think he's easily my, my most disappointing. Thanks. I go in a variety of different directions here. Um, so maybe I should just let you go first. I don't know. Sure. No, I, I think that I think Hayes is the one that struck out, stuck out to me as a position player that I thought, as you said, would be a very consistent, pretty high level big leaguer. And it doesn't seem like he maybe will get to that point. To be honest, I thought that I thought that Ryan Mountcastle would hit for a little bit of a better average, but I thought he had a good year. I don't think he's a total disappointment. He may just be that may be who he is. My biggest disappointment of the year is not seeing Grayson Rodriguez in the big leagues. And that's through no fault of his own, but that's the biggest disappointment of the year. I think that the triumvirate of Henderson, um, Rodriguez and Rushman, it was sort of uh, besides DL Hall, I guess as well, but those kind of became the three top, top, top guys, like top pitching prospect, two top player prospects. You all want to see them. We thought maybe we'd get Grayson at the end. I think that was a little bit of a pipe dream. I don't know if Michael Elias was going to pull the trigger on that after the injuries. Why pick the guy to the big leagues? Unless maybe they really thought he was going to be able to pitch in the playoffs. Um, but after just the excitement he showed us before the year and just the clear intent for him to get to the big leagues this year, that was the most disappointing part of the Orioles season. Um for me was I just, I wish we'd gotten a little bit of a taste. I'm sure there would have been, you know, ups and downs as there were for DL as there were for Adley Gunner and all these guys. Um, but just after, you know, having that guy on the show and, and seeing him, I was disappointed for the fans and disappointed for him and the organization that he, you know, the end, he had the injury and, and did just didn't have enough time to kind of pitch himself into this place where they were going to put him back up. Um, Cause it's kind of tough. You, you look at this roster and from a disappointment, there were such low expectations. That's why I thought this question was sort of interesting. There's not really a ton of disappointing pieces because so little was expected. Um, so that's why for me, it was that, that anticipation for him just never came to fruition. I can't wait for it next year. It's a good pick. Okay. Okay. Uh, that was one of, one of my options that I was considering. Um, I think Rugnet Odor was somebody we thought, hey, there's a guy who could be like some upside. We could trade him. He was kind of a flop. Um, he, you know, obviously delivered some exciting moments. Um, Trey Mancini, just trading him as a whole, probably the biggest disappointment of the year. Um, Grayson Rodriguez, like you said. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I'm totally derailing us. I mean, losing uh, Adley for the first six weeks. I mean, who knows what the season looks like if he's there from day one. Um, John Means. I mean, John Means is a bona fide ace in Major League Baseball. He was the one guy who was like, hey, here's a guy we're going to set in place and just give him the ball every five days, and he's going to give us a chance to win that given day. Uh, Throw him back in the mix next year and – if he's, I mean, I don't know where he's at in terms of his rehab or what, you know, when he'll be available, but I mean, that's when things are really going to come into, into picture when he's just back and able to be a rock in the middle of the rotation. And 
Um, my last one is uh, Chris Davis didn't break out of a slump this year. So that's always disappointing. They, they did mm. not let him get hot. Yeah. he. There were signs maybe like, you know, everybody was kind of heating up and, you know, June and July, a lot of hot bats out there. And Chris Davis just, just didn't, just couldn't, you know, break out of the slump. A lot of shift talk too, yeah. like you know. Yeah, I mean, he made some adjustments. Maybe it's time when they ban the shift, he'll be back. Hitting some balls off the tee and and you know taking some new approaches and working in the cage. Just can't break and... that. Just can't break that slump. So, he's, you he's know, maybe cool next ball. year, Chris Davis. He, he's another guy you gotta you gotta look out for. You gotta look out for him if he gets hot. No, I think I think he would have been a he would be a free agent next year. I think his deal is officially up. Uh, yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, buy low, so high. Do we do we sell a Chris Davis uh, comeback <laughs> comeback tour revenge tour T shirt? Never know. No. Moving on. Right. Best <laughs> best moment of the season, and then we'll move to the Ravens. Um, I Kevin Brown tweeted this and was asking people. I said the two that immediately jumped to my mind are Adley's turnaround spin before the first pitch when he came out for the first time on his debut. Well, I think you guys were at Preakness. Because, um, again, <laughs> yeah, <that> we were <laughs> quite single. I'm surprised that didn't get uh, biggest disappointment. <laughs> the 8 a.m. <laughs> Adley call up. Um, um, yeah, we were, we were frustrated about that, but all, all is forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> um, that seems like a different time. Like, people we're just can't believe in the infield. Fucking team. We're just in the infield at four o'clock. It's like, ah, we, we could maybe still, ah, I don't know. Could no. um, no. uh, that one comes to mind because that's quite literally when the turnaround started, when he did his turnaround, and it's also just such a great clip. I think it's one of those clips we're going to see for years and years. Um, very, very cool. And then it's got to be Trey hitting home run off the the right fielder's face on Mo Gabaday in his last at bat, and then Trey with the um, I think the walk off against the Angels during that. I think it was like. I can't remember. I mean, that was in the middle of the, the 10 game win streak, but I think that was like their fourth walk off in like six games or third and five or something like that. But yeah, the, the, those three are the, the ones that really, really jump, jump out, uh, jump out to me. Yeah. I was going to take a similar in that. I believe all the call-ups were, were all great. Um, the night they, they got to 500 and then they got over. It was, was, <laughs> was unbelievable. Um, we were potting for one of those. Um, but I was in ocean city for the July 5th walk off against the Rangers, the adore tying home run and then Cedric Mullins, um, single. And, you know, I've been watching the team obviously all year. We talk about on the show. We, we're all fans, blah, blah, blah. The way I just leapt out of my seat and like fully fist pumped when Mullins got the ball down was the first time I'd done anything like that involving the Orioles in, since 20 years 2014 probably yeah i mean there were moments like 2016 like get there and like whatever to get to the playoffs getting out of some of those jams in that game in 2016 yeah 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 people forget Uh, those that kind of that incarnation homer is just nuked it's just so unbelievably nuked that video was on the other day or whatever but that was it for me it was just a realization that there was just supreme hope and that i was sort of back fully emotionally invested in the team night to night as opposed to where i was you know, last year, two years ago, three years ago. So that, that for just as a personal, I was just by myself and just fully fist pumped. And I was just like, where am I right now? I'm like out of my couch. <laughs> so that was it for me. It's just me and for me. I think it's just clear cut for me. It helps that I was there and 
felt at the moment. Just when that ball hits him in the face and the ball goes away, like it's just pandemonium in the building was something I haven't felt at much of anything in a long time. So it's definitely that one for me. I, I watch that. I will laugh every single time that ball hits him right in the face. Just directly in the face. Smoked him, smoked him. And then Trey running home on that, looking like he has like sandbags tied to his legs. He it's is good. the most tired JJ person Hardy in both. America. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Ooh, but good thing that catcher had zero just interest in putting a tag on. Yeah, really. He's like, yeah. ah, yeah. Ah, let him score. Yeah. Well, good stuff there, guys. Uh, it will be fun to go throughout the offseason and talk about this team, talk about the moves that are going to be made. Michael Elias said, you know, it's all systems go. It's lift off, all those cliches and – we will see what he means by that in this offseason that becomes one where, you know, the Orioles will be, you know, crazily enough, a trendy playoff type of pick next year for sure in the uh, in the preseason publications. That will be a wild, wild scene. And I think opening day is going to be the best one in a long time. So can't already can't wait for that. Uh, let's turn to the Baltimore Orioles still licking their wounds. As I always say, if you want to hear the the emotional and uh, you mean disappointed Ravens? and or Ravens, I say Orioles. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I'm waiting for opening day. Maybe with Base- this Ravens team. Baseball that's town, baby. Yeah. It's a baseball town again. Um, you can listen to our instant analysis that we recorded Sunday after the game to get our sort of uh, uh, first takes as it were. Um, but as we head into Sunday night, I mean, it does not get any, I guess, less important as the you know, Ravens head Sunday night hosting against the Cincinnati Bengals. Nelly performing at halftime. Uh, someone quote tweeted the Ravens tweet and said, will the Ravens be performing in the second half? Which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> How many likes very, on that one? And very true. I don't remember. I scrolled past it. You may have actually liked it. And that might have been why it popped up in my feed. I don't know if you if that was you. Um, I, I, I stay away from liking that stuff because people. Are yeah, because then people just come back after you. Yeah. Gus Edwards back at practice today, so that was nice to see the bus. Um, but this is all going to come down to once again the, the Ravens secondary and defense versus this high-powered Cincinnati Bengals offense. I would say the Bengals have been uneven to start the season. I think you could just say that about the entire AFC North, except for maybe the Steelers, who have just been bad. But you know, we got to do with Jamar Chase again, and this is going to be a huge test to see if this, you know, what kind of resilience this Ravens team has. You can uh, losing a six game at home. I don't want to throw around the word disaster, but you're getting on a territory where, you know, there's just too many home games to lose. You got to take care of those, and I'm sure the bank will be rocking. So, huge game on Sunday, Banks. Time game, big time revenge game. I think uh, I think everybody left the stadium last year for the home game against the Bengals, which was maybe week seven, week eight. And we were still, you know, right there in the mix, uh, you know, relatively playing well, had some injuries, but the ship wasn't quite sinking yet where we lost that game. We played we just laid an egg. And I think all the guys left that field just being just real pissed off. Like, we got to get those guys in Cincinnati. Like, we, you know, we owe those guys big time. And then by the time that game came around, everything had fallen apart. Lamar was out, uh, both Humphrey and I, well, Marcus Peters was out from the start, but Huntley was was out. What's up? Huntley was out too, right? Yeah. Huntley was out. Um, So they just, there's this feeling that we just haven't given them a good punch back 
for that game in Baltimore last year. And now we see the team that's kind of, um, like you said, they're struggling. They're kind of treading water. They're, you know, they're staying in the race. And we're kind of doing the same thing. We're, you know, we've played some good football. Everybody knows it. The statistics drive me nuts every time I see it, where we've only trailed for 14 seconds of this entire season. It drives me nuts, but it is what it is. Um, this is an opportunity to just go right some wrongs and change the narrative. You win this game, and, and the last two losses here at home, I'm not going to say that they're forgotten, but they're in a distant past as soon as you win a game like this because the schedule in front of us is is a lot of open field is one way to put it. I think the Ravens get to that bye at seven and three, I think, if I'm remembering when the bye week is. And then from there, like, that's just more winnable games down the stretch. And I so this is just such an opportunity to get into the driver's seat, um, beat a team that didn't just beat us bad, but they talked a lot of shit on their way out too. I think the whole NFL has it out for Eli Apple at this point. <laughs> um <laughs> And they're they're not protecting their guy well. Joe Burrow, he looks more like rookie year Joe Burrow than sophomore year Joe Burrow, um, where he's not handling the pressure well. He doesn't have a lot of time to throw. He's not, you know, making the adjustments to get the ball out quick. Um, and it's just the best way to go after them. We know what they have offensively with the receivers. Jamar Chase is a freak. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, it's his worst game of his career, I would say, was, was last year in Baltimore against him. And I think he he's probably, you know, when his arm was in a sling for the whole back half of last season and in the offseason, I'm sure he was watching that tape and watching all these games with Jamar Chase in the playoffs and watching the things he does and, you know, thinking about how to get better and how to defend him better and do all those types of things with Marcus Peters in tandem now too. So, um, and, and, and better safeties as well. So I, I'm excited to see how they react because this is one of those games that you circle before the schedule came out as not just like not just a big game, but a game that is bulletin board kind of stuff. And, um, you know, all black, all black on Sunday night. What's better than that? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. You know, it, it feels like it's just going to take one complete performance for this sort of narrative to turn around a little bit. Um, and what's funny is it felt like the Ravens are on their way to that in the middle of the second quarter on Sunday that they were going to, you know, to make a statement to the league, dominate the bills in their home park, you know, kind of roll into the next week, Sunday night places rocking after a huge win. Um, they did not do that obviously. And now you have a, a huge division game. I mean, I mean, these division games, if this division is going to stay as a slog, you, you know, goes without saying you need to win your division games, but tiebreakers are going to become even bigger if this thing is going to be close the entire time. Um, so you want to win your home games. I think that, as you said, it's a huge prove-it game for what happened in the secondary last year for those guys that are back. Marcus Peters not able to play. You know, Marlon Humphrey uh, playing very poorly. You know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but this is also, you know, a marquee Sunday night quarter, young quarterback, young quarterback duel that they love, that, you know, the public loves so much. Who's better, Joe Burrow or Lamar Jackson? You know, it's a very easy, like, sports talk show talking point to say. But I think for Ravens fans, and in terms of the power structure in this division moving forward, it's these two guys right now. Um, and so 
who is which one of them is going to come out and play the better game. Um, Lamar has obviously had the better season so far for sure. Um, but you know, Burrow was better last year and got to a Super Bowl, something that Lamar hasn't done. So that that just you know, those guys aren't playing each other on the field, obviously, but just as a sports fan. You know, when you're just firmly simplifying, that excites me that those two guys on the marquee when they run the commercials this week and it's your team that just juices you up more. And that's what has me really fired up for this game. It's similar to to Allen and and Lamar last week as well. Um, Black jerseys, did you said going to be very fun? I think one of the 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 one small thing I'm, I'm looking forward to this week is. This is clearly a ramp up situation for J.K. Dobbins. And can he be a guy that does things in this game for the entire, you know, he started to show the old JK Dobbins a little bit last week. And can he bring a lot to the table in this game? Um, I'm very excited to see him um, and the dimension he brings back to this offense. Um, just came over to why the Ravens signed Andy Isabella to the practice squad for whatever that's worth uh, former second round pick and a Arizona Cardinal. Don't think he'll factor into this game. Um, I think it's a bounce back game for some guys offensively on the, in the skill positions too. You know, you would like to see Rashad Bateman play much better in this game. He certainly, and when he looks across the field, looks at some good young wide receivers if he's in. So we'll see. He's going to play, yeah. If he's going to play. Yeah. yeah, if he's going to play. If he's going to play. I, I think, I mean, you talked about it. Burrow has zero time to throw and and – this is a game where, again, if the Ravens had a pass rush, it needs to show up because, I mean, they, they sign guys to bolster that offensive line, and it's somehow they're they're like worse than last year. And I mean, again, I saw the Titans sack him nine times in the playoffs. Like Matt, you know, Matt Abike should be living in in Joe Burrow's lap this week. Um, it's if 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 they can get guys in there, you know, like Owe could have a monster day. He should have a monster day if if he's just pinning his ears back and going, I mean, you know, he should be eating Joe Burrow for lunch. So it's going to be interesting with them. Um, obviously with Marlon, um, Marlon's comments, I think today or yesterday. Um, and I don't think he's wrong about where he called, you know, the Bengals trio of receivers, the best three receivers, the, the best trio in football. I, I, you know, I mean, I don't think that's wrong at all. And, and obviously, like you guys said, we saw in the two games last year, they put on some uh, some would say decent performances. And and obviously the second one is a little different, but secondary has not been good. You know, there was that what was that that BS NFL account, the NFL rumors, just saying oh yeah. <laughs> source what did they, did they say sources say that that the Ravens have given up the most the passing no, it was just the name of the account is NFL yeah, rumors NFL and they rumor. said the Ravens are 32nd in pass defense and it's like okay thanks NFL rumors yeah appreciate you uh <laughs> good tweet yeah love that um but yeah I mean you know they they've had issues the last couple of weeks and this is not a team that you can really afford to have issues with um you know, so I don't know. We we may we may be getting a shootout, and like like you were saying, Taylor, when you look up on the marquee and see Joe Burrow versus Lamar Jackson, I mean, this is what the NFL like drools over a Sunday night. You know, two young stud quarterbacks. Um, this also feels like a game that the that the Bengals always lose, and it feels like a game that the Ravens always win. Like Sunday yeah. night, you know, all blacks plus the you know the Bengals in prime time. I feel like just always. They always are like, oh yeah, we're th- that's right. We're the Bengals. Like we are the Bengals. That's right. So it's almost going to be if the Ravens figured a way to lose this game, 
just very season from hell vibes in terms of them losing games. You just never see them lose blow it, not being able to close at home. Like are the Bengals really going to come into Baltimore and win this type of game? Like I already said, it's a great point. Like just, you know, not going, you know, X's and O's and just simply going on history. There's just so much narrative against the Bengals mm-hmm. playing in this game and not even necessarily bad bank, you know, Good Bengals teams, Bengals teams that made the playoffs have never won this game. Was it what was the um what didn't they didn't they play a season opening Sunday night or Monday night with Carson Palmer in Baltimore? I believe it was a Monday night in the yeah, Ravens by like a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like this is um Ed Reed returned that punt on a Monday night, I think. You know, when he went back, like he returned a punt late in the game. It's just it's just a game that the Bengals lose like eight times out of ten, just because of the Bengals. Like it just has that feeling. I think kind of have the Ravens number a little bit. If you look at, I mean, I spent a little bit of time on Joe Flacco's game log page a couple of weeks ago, just because he was playing the AFC North with the Jets and the Bengals. He's, a, I think, a losing record against the Bengals. The Bengals, like in that Dalton, AJ Green era and this newer era, like they kind of have our number a little bit, like the days of the Achilles Smith and and uh, Carson Palmer and Kitna. some of the guys that backed up John Kitna, like they're not quite it's the kinda, same and they haven't been for a long time. It's not a lot of trading wins and losses as I now look here through the series history. So we'll start in 20, 2009, three straight wins for the Ravens, then four straight wins for the Bengals, then a win for the Ravens, then a win for the Bengals, then, or excuse me, then a win for the Bengals and a win for the Ravens. Then, um, then four, five straight wins for the Bengals between 2013 and 2016. That's actually kind of wild. Then win for the Ravens, win for the Bengals, win, uh, win for the Ravens. So the Ravens win like five straight. So there's like some long stretches of, of streaks. I, did, I don't need to go game by game. I'm realizing that just was going to be the most boring thing. Anyone's ever listened to this podcast, but um, yeah, the, the Ravens prior to the two games last year, the Ravens had won five straight against the Bengals. Um, so this kind of goes in waves, and we'll see if this is now a wave where the, the Bengals are going to kind of get get ahead of the Ravens. But, um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find that that game you're referring to, RDT, because I uh, – like, 2008, like a, 2007? No, 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 no. I'm sorry, like 2009 or 10 maybe. 10? Maybe 11? I've just gone five different years. Yeah, yeah. Maybe may, 12? Yeah, maybe 12. I'm trying to think because I remember watching it in my apartment at Towson. So I'm trying to like play a Dalton game or a Carson Palmer mm, game. No. I want to say Palmer. Yeah, wow. Whatever. Oh, so it can't be. No, no, no. So, so it was Dalton. So it was Dalton. Their Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page in the 2000s, the series tied 10 10. 2010s, the series tied 10 10. So far in the 2020s, tie 2-2. Wow. The Ravens are ahead 5-3 to three in the 1990s. That's the difference in the overall series. Wow. Very interesting. I didn't realize it was that close. Yeah, there's just these weird games at the Bengals. I'm just, just A.J. Green haunts my nightmares. Even games where it just looked like we're, they were completely ours. Like, he caught that Hail Mary on the tip pass to send the game to overtime. We won that game anyways, but it was just like, Jesus Christ, man, can we just put these guys away? Well, that, I mean – not to bring up bad memories, the New Year's yeah, Eve. You don't, New you don't Year's have Eve. to say it. You don't have to say it. You don't have to um, say it. What was the um? Wasn't the Steve Smith Pac Man? Wasn't that thirty-five trash, twenty-seven fuck boy? Wasn't that a Bengals game? I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. 
I think we lost that one too. Because he made that gigantic touchdown, and, and then AJ scored, ahead, but they they drove right that. I yeah, think AJ right scored. Yeah, it was like a seventy yard pass after that, or something like that. It was it was one of those like sixteen, I think. It sounds right. Sports. Predictions, fellas. <sighs> Ravens twenty seven, Bengals twenty one. Bengals backdoor that twenty one though. Ravens. 33, Bengals 27. Right, uh, Ravens 35, Bengals 31. I'm scared of this game. <laughs> I am scared of this game. The you don't seem to be Banks. Got me. No, the All Blacks have given me a lot of juice. Night the game, Va- Nelly. Yeah. Just, I just don't. Man, Does Ray Lewis show Twitter up at this game? Like, this team can't. Close out a game, and it's like okay. He has to, right? This this frustrates me. There's a big difference between can't do something and hasn't done something. This team is going to close out games this year. They're going to close out a lot of games. We're just taking our lumps right now. If Ray Lewis and, does the squirrel dance to Nelly at any point in the proceedings, then this is a this is a forty point he, win. I promise you, he will not pass up an opportunity to be on in the spotlight. <laughs> I promise you that. And you know what? Um, why, why would you not as one of the all-time greats who's never done anything wrong? He will absolutely kill it. I, I'm telling you that. He will oh, that's kill it. He may obstruct some of the game. There may be some obstruction. No, but I, no, no. But I tell you what, he will. There may be some obstruction. I mean, how could there not be? He's you know do, popular. He may delay the game a little do bit. You, do you think he Ray Lewis liked the uh, Bengals uniforms on Thursday? Oh, come on. I, no? The all, he, he might have he may have had obstructed viewing of them. Who how could I, he have even seen them? I heard he bought like a full kit and then decided he didn't want it and just threw it away. He just threw them away. Sports lingo. That's a callback. Yeah. That was yeah, that was yeah, <laughs> what a callback. Um no now the only issue with Sunday night games is this is just not not fun from an announcer perspective. It's it's Tariko, Collinsworth, and Melissa Stark. There's just no guessing game. I don't get to like get you guys guess. We know who it is every week. So Collinsworth hopefully has a voice. Hopefully has yeah. a voice. Rough, rough couple of weeks for him, but I'm not. By the way, Jason Garrett on the on the pregame show. I mean, what was was what is that choice? Why is Jason Garrett involved? He he must know someone. Is Jason Garrett doing the Notre Dame games with Collinsworth's son? Is that the team? I haven't watched the Notre Dame games, but I thought I saw that on Twitter. Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett. How do they Same not thing? have a former Notre imagine. Dame guy? I thought it was like Dan Hicks is, did a bunch of games. Is he no, not doing them anymore? He, he, no, he's not on them, I don't think. It well, was Tariko. It's been Tariko for like two or three years. I, did Jason Garrett? I just don't under. I just, I'm just shocked that they don't Jason have Garrett, like Brady Quinn. Once, yeah, where is like the Notre Dame guy? Brady Quinn is yeah. sitting there too. Brady Quinn is sitting there. Is in he the, still in the Fox is Brady, studio? Is he still doing? Oh Brady, yeah, he's doing stuff with Fox. Yeah, Brady Quinn addressed Quinn. that. I think. I think. I think the Barcelona Chicago guys had him on at some point, and they asked him a little bit about that, and he like admitted, "Yeah, I've been thinking like strategically about how to get okay, out. Like, how to go. depending on how all these TV deals like shake out, I'm with Fox now. Like, you know." I mean, he's in a great spot. He's in a cushy chair. Like you're sitting there with 
Reggie and Matt Liner and Charles Woods and everyone's Urban. (laughs) Jesus, Urban. That show was so bad before the Maryland-Michigan game because Urban just hijacks the show because they just booed him the entire time. So they're just cussing at Urban. And so Box having to, like, cut the feed. It was so bad. Like, and when when you go to Michigan, just don't bring Urban. We don't need Urban for Maryland-Michigan. We don't need Urban. I don't think we need Urban. We really don't need Urban. Yeah, we don't need Urban at all. But if you're going to stick with Urban, like, just, hey, Maryland, Michigan, where you're going to Michigan and it's not about Michigan, Ohio State, just be like, Urban, go hang out with your family for a weekend. Yeah, or, go, or go like, stay at the bars or, in Ohio. Stay. Hey, Ur- Urban's coming to us live from his flight. house. He had a COVID scare. Like, you, you just don't need him. We just don't need him hijacking the show in Ann Arbor. It was so bad. It was such a bad pregame be, show. Could he be the next guy at Wisconsin? Or Nebraska? <laughs> You know what Urban Meyer's real name is? How about Paul Chris went to like four Rose Bowls or three Rose Bowls and got canned at Wisconsin? That's amazing. I wonder who they're going to go get. They might just promote you. Maybe they just want to promote you. They might. They really might. That would be like them to do. Real quick. You know what Urban Meyer's real official name is? No. Oscar Meyer? It's Urban. I thought Urban would be like his nickname or, you know, like, oh. No, I thought it was his real name. Urban Urban Meyer? Meyer. The third. Urban Wow, there's been three Urbans. Yeah, mm. U- UM, UM, the th- UM3. Yeah, he's very average on TV. I don't think I've does ever like heard the, of does like the Terps offense, though. Another does man, like the Terps offense. Uh, let's get to our starting five presented by Fed Thrill. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with our, our, our people at Fed Thrill. The last four or five days have not been sunglasses weather, but mm-hmm. the, sun was ba- the sun was back out today, so Fed Thrills were back in play. Um, and, uh, cause they'll go get yours. Use the promo code exit 52 to get 20% off of any of the fed thrill styles. They have many. And as you go to Ravens game, they've got the purple and black and, and things like that. So you'll, you'll look very stylish. You had your tailgate or the bar or whatever it may be. Okay. In honor of the New York Mets who, you know, were up what 10 and a half games in June and, and, um, Gave up the division. They're still in the playoffs. So it's not a total collapse because they're still in the playoffs. This has been a popular topic of discussion at the company you guys uh, partly work for, Barstool Sports. And so it uh, got us to thinking uh, worst sports collapses is the draft. I had actually not set the picks up. So I'm doing this live of who's picking first. RDT, you have the first pick. I have the second pick. Banks has the third pick. So, RDT, you can start us off. Worst sports collapses. We've done comebacks before because I thought we'd done this. We've done comebacks, not collapses. So. All righty. Um, my worst collapse of all time. I'm taking the Golden State Warriors 3-1 lead over the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2016. Wow. Best regular season team of all time, 73-9. and nine. Don't mean a thing if you don't got the ring. Uh, just flat out choked away a 3-1 lead. Draymond, who, you know, had another incident today. I don't know if you've even seen that. Punched uh, Jordan Poole. Did see that. Punched Jordan Poole, yeah. Yeah, great teammate. Uh, Awesome guy. Got suspended for kicking LeBron in the testicles. So he was suspended. And, you know, you can blame the refs all you want, but you can't kick a dude in the dick. Just you can't. You're going to get suspended every time. And then, yeah, LeBron just with an all-time. LeBron and Kyrie. Um, with all-time performances in that clinching game. I mean, the, the LeBron block is one of the most, I mean, it's one of the, it, it, it's, it's one of the best plays in NBA history, I think. That chase down block on, on Iguodala and then 
Kyrie on the other end hits that three. Rest is history. Cleveland, this is for you. Another ring, you know. So I, I mean, it's just it's an unreal choke job, and it un, uh, just of the highest degree. It's a good pick. Uh, definitely a notable one. I wish it would have been better if it was a 3-0 lead, but um, you know. And they had the you know arguably the, one of the best players of all time on the on the Cavs, so it's not like they lost to a bad team. But you just need to get LeBron mentioned in there. Had to, I had to. Um, I am gonna take something that I think I probably get later in the draft, but I just enjoy it as a horrible collapse. Um, even though I do think it was it was um there. Uh, this team was up forty points. Um, going into the second half. Um, I'm taking the monsters. I'm taking the monsters. Um. <laughs> Go up 40. They switched the school board to kind of one-sided, isn't it, uh, before <laughs> going. Uh, there was a, uh, I think, like a Harvard sports analytics class that that compiled the box score of this. Toon Squad goes on a 48-2 to two run using just absolute shenanigan tactics that, like, if there's anybody coaching the Monstars, you have to be able to deal with at a certain point. And for them not to be able to come together, you know, Call timeout with the guys. Call timeout. Like, no timeouts. Like, you've got, like, Pepe Le Pew popping around. you got people riding scooters. you got, you know, people stretching. They're, the secret stuff. I mean, the whole entire thing is just a total debacle from start to finish. And then There's to just lose, no clock management tactics. You just got to drain some clock. Clock's your friend. The Monstars are up 10, 10 points with 10 seconds to go, 77-67. No time elapses, and then they're down. They're up 77-67 as Bill Murray checks into the game. So it's it's really hard to figure out how they even gave up those points. Michael Jordan was 22 for 22 from the field, according to the box score. <laughs> never shot. The two, and they shot no threes, according to this box score. He never got blocked? Uh, not according to this. I mean, protect the rim one time. The Monsters scored 154 points per 100 possessions. That's insane. How do you lose a game doing that? They got Patrick Ewing's talent. Maybe a lack of depth. Talk, about a, talk about a collapse guy. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, they, the Ewing <laughs> theory, fully in effect there. So, yeah, I, I have to take the Monsters. I, do, I don't know if this is on either of your boards, but I, I felt like I needed to get it because it's just – it's an all-timer, and to, and to lose, you you have all the size. It's just, yeah, maybe it's Ewing. It is a lot of guys that didn't win a lot of things in their NBA careers in that team. Bark, it's yeah. kind of funny. Barkley, Ewing, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bogues, and Sean Bradley. I'm not sure any of those guys won NBA titles. Well, they so, weren't winning anything because Michael was winning everything. It's Yeah, yeah. The check, story checks out. Yeah, yeah. So Michael took, if, another, Michael took another one for him. If this anything, girl, Bogues, Bogues nothing. One, one. block my shot. Why do you keep having this dream? It wasn't a dream. It really happened. I love that movie. God, is that two weeks in a row? We've got that quote on the the basketball Jones. It's just, oh my God, it's so good. That's my pick. He's fixing it. Larry isn't white. Larry's clear. Good. Thanks. I'm taking the Yankees 2004 collapse. I have to take it. I think growing up at the age I did watching, I mean, really from my first memories of sports teams and sports as a whole was the Yankees winning everything in sight, just four, you know, four out of five and then getting upset by the, the diamondbacks, Terra one. 
I mean, I thought to myself that might be a pick, but I'm going to leave that be. Um, so, like, whereas the Red Sox were the losers, I mean, there was no – the Boston hatred from everybody else wasn't really a thing at that point yet. And so watching the Red Sox at that point do what they did against the Yankees was an extremely enjoyable experience for me personally. Um, and it just was unprecedented. It's a rivalry. Um, it created all kinds of baseball history. It's it's just an easy first round pick for me, I think. Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, it's an unassailable pick in this draft. They had their guy on the mound. I mean, the guy is the greatest closer in baseball history, but he choked away that series by not closing it out early, and he had one Game Seven World Series save opportunity in his career, and he blew that one too. So nobody talks about that. You're not wrong. You're not getting any disagreement from me. Yeah. Not getting any disagreement from me. You got another one, though. The other one, I'm taking John Vandeveld. It's an easy, I mean, yeah, in terms a of a, just a one, just in a vacuum, all you need to do is make double bogey and you win a major title. Not just a major title, but the British Open, like, it's just right there in front of you. And the decision is right there in front of you too. And to do what he did and just choke it away, it's just unconscionable. unconscionable. Did I say that word right? Some sure. legalese. But yeah, it just just him it's it's pulling, it's pulling his shoes and his socks off. It's iconic burn is just it is just astounding to think about. Like, it's just so hard to wrap your head around. It's just, you stand on the tee, it's like a hypothetical. Like, hey, if you had the British Open in front of you, could you make a double bogey? And I feel confident that I personally could. Like, I could make a double bogey and win. But he made triple. He fucked up, made triple, lost in the playoff. Unbelievable. Good pick. Um... Hmm. I'm going to take this because I love it as a moment. It's gotten picked in this draft before, I believe, as a moment in some form or fashion. I'm going to take the uh, the French 4 by 100 meter relay swimming team against the USA in 2008. I, specifically, Elaine Bernard, the fastest 100 meter freestyler in the world, just getting chased down by Jason Lezak, just absolutely embarrassing himself and his country as as America, a Texan Lezak just chases his ass down. What a collapse and a classic. And I mean, not to use the cliche here in America, but just classic French weakness, just straight weakness. Great job, France. Get absolutely blitzed. I know that we have the best winner of all time on that team. I understand that, but clear underdogs, even Rowdy Gaines, Mr. Cheerleader, who I loved, didn't think we could get it done. We get it done. What a collapse from the French after they were talking shit. Take a seat. I'm taking that. I'm what was your quote going into that event? Um, that they were going to smash the Americans. <laughs> I think Hicks, Hicks says at the end, Hicks says at the end, I believe the word they used was smash or something like that. It's <laughs> so the whole. The, <laughs> By the way, you know, there is something to say for journalist integrity, journalistic integrity. There is nothing better than when the Olympics announcers go full homer. It's awesome. Everyone turns into Kenny Powers. It's exactly what you want. 
And Hicks and Rowdy are so freaking Homer in that video. It is just unbelievable how good it is. It's such a good video. But I'm taking that. What a collapse from those clowns. Uh, Bernard tightens up. He's tightening up. So good. It's just so, so good. (laughs) I mean, I could do the whole thing. He's tightening up. Bernard is losing ground. Here comes Lezak. Unbelievable at the end. He's done it. I mean, that's it's it's one of the great calls. The like little pause when while they wait for the time to come up until that he's done it is unbelievable. Uh, That's the best. That's a good pick. That's very I like I didn't even think of that. Here comes Lezak. Unbelievable at the end. Pause. He's done it. So, uh, uh, you got two already, too. <clears throat> um, I'll go the, the Red Sox in 2011. Um, obviously finished off by the Orioles with Carl Crawford not making the catch. Probably should have made the catch. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that, that just – that whole night of baseball was unbelievable. Um Again, with with the way that all the races ended, they were up. Let me see. They that Red Sox they were up nine games going into the month in the wild card, and they went seven and twenty in September. Oh, oh, I did not remember that number. The Boston Globe that is so uh, bad. Yeah, team sources told the Boston Globe that even as the team was in a free fall, star pitchers Josh Beckett, John Lester, and John La- John Lackey drank beer, ate fried chicken, and played video games in the clubhouse on days they did not start. They also combined to go two and seven with a six four five ERA during the nosedive. Uh, Veritek and Ortiz were accused of not leading. Francona angri- angrily denied the tr- the charges that he was distracted by the breakup of his marriage. He ended up leaving after the season anyway. Um, for Theo Epstein with a great quote: "We not only let each other down to the clubhouse, but we let the city down." Or sorry, that was uh, Dustin Pedroia. Uh, just an all-time collapse because of again all the stuff that came out. Like, oh yeah, like John, John, like you know Beckett and them were having fucking KFC in the clubhouse while they were getting their brains beat in, you know, just absolutely choking this away. And again, but just the fact that it was the Orioles and and it set off that entire run that they had makes it so much better. Um, it was just a very very fun collapse to watch from from this side. Um, and fun fact too, that was the last, Jared Carabas told me that was the last time that he was in Camden Yards and he was in a suite and had a bottle of champagne ready to pop. And he said he just, they, he left it in the suite and just left. <laughs> so that was the last. What's crazy is they've at. added playoff spots and they haven't gotten anything like, really like that final day since. Yeah. Which you would think with these like three wild, these, all these wild card spots now and all these different things that you would have these kind of like fights to the finishes and they sort of do, but everything was locked up as of like two days ago. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this literally came. There was out. nothing that dramatic. I guess the Phillies clinching, but I, there was nothing that dramatic about the final few days. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this literally came down to like the last at bat of the last game, you know, uh, Ray, uh, Ray's. That was amazing. I don't think people, I think people that were, I guess, maybe too young to have not seen that really, it's hard to understand how incredible that like five hour night was. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, it starts off with the video of Shaughnessy being like, oh, there's no way the Red Sox are going to lose. And the Yankees are not going to lose to the race. Like, this isn't happening. Pack your bags. Like, we're going to New York or, you know, wherever that they would have gone. And like, there's some grainy video on YouTube that, you know, links it all together. Someone told me. At the trop, they have like a full wall timeline of everything that happened, like with all that's the really games. cool. And it's like, that's probably the coolest thing about the trop. But they said it's in like a back hallway where like 
you have to like go and try and find it. it's just so perfect drop like but yeah that's uh i think that i think the anniversary was like two or three days ago of that day it was just it was so much fun to complete the thought on the other thing the americans were gonna smash them that's what we came here for what a joke <laughs> thanks or no it's me um i'm I'm just giving my own i'm taking the i'm taking the miracle medina it's just it's just a total debacle from the americans and just it's just it it it, it, of things that i of not my like terps ravens you know my teams the team usa stuff really gets you and that is one of the worst i mean that was so 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 bad U.S. up 10-6 going into singles, and then just get absolutely rolled, rolled on home turf. Just got their hearts taken away by the Europeans. And I was just like, maybe the Ryder Cup isn't for, isn't for America, but we're just going to lose this every single year. Now, you know, now we have a way better team than they do, but it doesn't even matter. That's the thing. It just never matters. Um, that was heartbreaking. Very heartbreaking. More heartbreaking than I would have anticipated when I was watching it. Did it wait? Did I take two, or did I, was that my only one? I can't remember. Oh, you only took one. Oh my god, we just talked about it for so long. Sorry, were, right. were you gonna take golf? Were you gonna take golf? Yeah, that was that was my one. No, yeah, I'm sure it was. Go ahead. Uh, Sorry. No, no, you're fine. I no, couldn't it'll work I out. Like, it'll work out. No, I we gone on for, for so long. I thought you took two. That's my fault. Amateur, but I haven't done it. Amateur production. Just amateur. Oh come on, <laughs> come on. You host the drafts. It's tough um, over here. I'm typing all these in on my little on my little uh, my sticky note. I'm watching Lezak videos. There's a lot going on over here. <laughs> All right, I'm, go ahead, I'm, RGT. I'm inserting my pick. I'm taking the yeah, 2007 Patriots, 16 and 0 in the regular season. You know, it's arguably the best football team ever. Couldn't finish it off, 18 and one. Um, fantastic fourth quarter of that Super Bowl, like that. And people don't forget that Super Bowl was like an all-time snooze fest up until the last two minutes. Up until Eli was in the grasp, and and probably today would have been called down, like. You know, forward progress to stop. We're not. We don't want our quarterback to get slammed. So he probably would have been whistled. Um, that game was a snooze, and it kind of stunk up until the end. Two minutes left in the fourth, and Tyree makes a catch. Uh, Plexico, you know, with the fade in the end zone. It's like the only time that play's ever worked. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's again that that's kind of like the don't mean a thing if you don't got the ring. No one gives a shit about eighteen and one. It's it's you know. They were the they were the team that was supposed to get the job done against an underwhelming, which which that obviously was became a thing with Tom Brady in the playoffs, but an underwhelming Giants team that didn't really, you know, snuck into the wild card and then just made noise. So I think that's uh gotta be up there as one of the biggest chokes. It's a good one. I've taken my pick. Thanks. I'm gonna take the pre-Tennessee Titans in the 1992 AFC wildcard game. I don't know how like 35 to three is as done as it gets. It's over. It's over. And the Buffalo fans left. Um, but sure enough, the comeback king, Frank Reich, comes in and slings a four touchdowns, three of them to Andre Reed. Um beat the uh the Oilers in overtime. It's just wasn't really around to see that when it happened, and I can't really wrap my head around how that even happens, especially in 1992. Like, it's not today's NFL where you can sling it and it's basically, you know, passing league. Mm-hmm. Let me see. I that have- it's amazing. Frank Reich, one of the crazier resumes in the history of sports. Now that he's become like a great coach, is whoa, whoa, I wouldn't say a great coach, great I coach, mean, that dude's great stinks. coach. I think he's great stinks. coach, great coach. 
He'll be he'll be fired at the Terp. end of the year. Terps, great coach. He stinks. Great coach. I think him and uh, Ursay are just going to cry it out a little bit, and he's going to stick around. Ursay is a big crier. Uh, yeah. Banks, you have a second one. I am. I got to take the '86 World Series. I mean, it's just right there. It's over. It's over. It's over. Bill Buckner. I mean, that is just synonymous with collapse. So I don't. I don't think I even need to go any further with that. It's just remarkable. Five hole. Not much to explain there. All right, not much to Bill Buckner. There. Good episode of mm-hmm. Curb too. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Buckner's probably a guy you can get for a lot of people on Better Alive. It's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I, yeah. I know. We got to do that. We got we to gotta do that towards the end of the show. <laughs> do we have candidates? I'm I'm, I'm meant to get oh, candidates. I, I dead or alive. Which, I mean, you guys will probably get it right, but it'll be more about like, wow. Go on. Continue. Continue. I, I was gonna go way off the board here, but I'll I'll take like a more normal one. So my board is somewhere. Board. No, no, I, I it's it's not. You guys aren't picking it, so I'm getting it last. Um, I'm taking Falcons twenty-eight to three. I mm-hmm. it, I think it has to be taken. I I, yeah. I don't think I need to say anything else. There's I don't um, think there's any need yeah, to expand. It was so bad for all of America, <laughs> except for <laughs> Patriots fans. Freaking Matt Ryan. No, freaking Kyle Shanahan. Run the ball, dude. No. Yeah. We're in the game, Matty Ice. Figure yeah. the fuck out. Kyle Julio, Shanahan. Maybe Julio made that insane too. catch on the sideline. Incredible. Side run the ball. Didn't they, they have Devontae Foreman? Just fucking just run the ball. That's the kind Devontae of catch Freeman. the best wide receiver in football at that time makes. You know? Moving moving on. Uh, uh, yeah. RDT. You have two. Um, These are my last two. Uh, that was good. Good callback to some former arguments and discussion points before the show. <laughs> I will go, and this one isn't like historically fame. I mean, it's famous. I think we've talked about it on the show with a guest, but the Giants Niners NFC wildcard game where the Giants were up 38 mm. to 14, and then the mm-hmm. Niners scored 25 straight points in 16 minutes. And then they the Giants had a chance to win the game with and Trey Junkin. Just the bad snap. They called him out of retirement. I think we talked about it with Morgan Cox, but they called him out of retirement and he fucked up the snap. And then the worst part is the NFL came out after and was like, yeah, it should have been pass interference because the guy mm-hmm. downfield was like an eligible receiver. So it's just, it, it plays so much into it. Um, I just remember like it was, a, obviously it was a wild card game. So it's January. I think we had, to, we had snow that day because I was shoveling me and my friend were shoveling his driveway and we, we were like, this game is over. We're going to go shovel. And we came back in and they were like lining up for the field goal. So we had missed the entire comeback. And we're like, wait, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean this this game is like a, it's is tied up? Or what do you mean that the Giants could hit this kick to go to win it or to go to overtime or whatever it was? Um, that was just one of the crazier comebacks that I, I can re- rem- ever remember like watching, just being like, holy shit, like what or collapse, I guess, choke, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then my next one. I will take the Rangers in the 2011 World Series. You're you're down to your last strike. You you know you got you got a, a deep fly ball to right field, but a, a plenty of, of it's catchable. I mean that ball needs to be caught. If anyone else, there's just no reason for Nelson Cruz to be the guy in right field in that. Situation. No reason, no reason at all. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. It's, it's an oversight that, that isn't talked about a lot. Like Ron Washington, what are you doing, dude? You like, you, you got to put yeah. anyone else. The, in. the reason defensive substitutions exist is for the Nelson Cruz's of the world. No yep. disrespect to him. We love Nelson Cruz, but. I remember bl- when he signed with the Orioles in 2014, I remember blogging. He better leave his glove at the airport because you don't want him anywhere near a, a batted ball especially with two outs and two strikes in game six of the world series. Again, I mean, they're a strike away. We were at the bar. We were at Unijax with beers ready to like pop. My buddy was a huge Rangers fan and we had like bought a bottle of champagne, like Andre, that was like six bucks or whatever. And we were getting ready to pop it. And we just never did because they lost that game. I mean, great game with the, with the David freeze home run, the, the Joe Buck call. And then game seven, it's over. So Nelly Cruz, again, we love you. 40 home runs in 2014, but he has to make that catch. That's a catch that any defensive replacement makes. And the Rangers are world world champions. So sucks to suck, but that was that. I thought that was a horrible, horrible collapse. That was very bad. That was very bad. Uh, would have been Taylor Swift's grandmother's 94th birthday today. So chat to her. Just saw that on Twitter. Um, Jesus thought you guys want to know that. Dead or alive? Um, <laughs> Dead. Oh, no. Um, Marjorie. Marjorie, yep. Yep. Golly. I am taking... <laughs> I am taking... I was going to take this last. I, I did not. Or I was going to take this last round. I'm not. I'm taking a recent one. I'm taking Michaela Schifrin at the Olympics. She was expected to just win all the gold medals and then was just sitting on the side of the hill, like crying for 20 minutes after losing. That was a stunning collapse. Now, there's some reasons for that. She had some death in the family, some very emotional stuff. And that's why people thought she lost. But that was like, for me as a, you know, go to the Olympics with big expectations for sure. And as we've seen this before, people don't perform expectations. That was like more of a collapse for someone who was so dominant throughout the sport. And it was very sad. Love Michaela Schifrin, but that just came to me as like a recent, recent one where I was like, this person is just absolutely falling apart as she heads through the event. So I'm taking Michaela Schifrin a little off the board there. I'm just love the Olympics. We had to get an Olympics one in there. Oh, I had two Olympics ones in there. There you go. <laughs> Finishes off, Banks. Do I just get one here? Yes. What did I already take? Well, I don't know if I'm you can trust gonna... me, but I believe so. Um, I am taking every single team Dylan High ever played against. As well as East Dylan. I mean, just yeah, collapses left and right. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I would agree with that. Just that entire county or that entire area of Texas, like all well, the coaches, yeah. shame on you. Yeah, well, there were also some back and forth ones, but yeah, there were some comebacks for sure. God, I love that show. I need to get that, give that show a rewatch soon. So good. So good. You think little Matt Saracen can get it done? All right. <laughs> Worst for it. That's a little buddy Garrity for you. Uh, <laughs> RET took the Golden State uh, collapse. Red Sox 2011, 07 Pats, the Giants Steiners NFC wildcard game, and the Rangers in the 2011 World Series. I took the Monstars, uh, the French 4 by 100 meter freestyle swimming team, the Miracle Medina, the Falcons, and Michaela Schifrin. What a bizarre draft out of me. <laughs> RDT took the uh, excuse me, Banks took uh, Yankees in 04, John Vandeveld, um, the 1986 World Series, the Oilers in the uh, wild card game, 
and um, Dylan High, any team that played Dylan High. Uh, I couldn't take this, but the Miracle Minutes in my honorable mentions, I just I, can't take it. I thought about taking that with the last one. You could the 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 Terps in the twenty in the two thousand one Final oh. Four also was awful. Um, Jordan Spieth, 16 Masters, five shot lead on standing on 10. Yeah. Really bad. Yeah. Rather take uh, Greg Norman in that. Six yeah, shot Greg lead heading into the final round. Uh, it's easy to dunk on him. Good one for the Terps. Uh, Miami blowing the largest lead in college football history, or at that point, uh, to Frank Reich. Uh, and then I had Rocky, I had Drago and Rocky Four. I mean, he's, I mean, how do you lose there? You're at home. You have Rocky. Just you're just putting him on the canvas like every single time, and you have to get knocked out to lose. You, if you get to the scorecards, you win. Even if he even if he was losing, he gets to the scorecards and he wins, and he gets knocked out. It's terrible. I should have taken Coach K. Oh, yeah. That's a mess. Any honorable mentions for you guys? We'll move on to Nick Kander Medley. Um. I had Mets 2007. That's a famous one. Uh, Terps Miracle Minute. Uh, 2010, 2011 Miami Heat losing to the Mavs in the finals. Mm. I, I was I could have you know humbled myself, but I didn't. Um, yeah, I had Ravens Dolphins, but that was just more of a recency bias. Bill Nicholson at Wingfoot. Oh yeah, bad. That was yeah, bad. Are there any good NASCAR ones? You could think of NASCAR ones. There's, I was trying to hard. think of like Lindsey Jacob Ellis. That's pretty bad collapse. Yeah. That felt like more of a choke to me. I guess all these are chokes, but that felt like because yeah. like, it's like a race. Racing is hard it's because tough. it's like, yeah. Um, that's why like, my Michaela Schiffer one is a little bit of a stretch, I think. But um, I was trying to think of like in a, in a NASCAR championship race, if someone had collapsed down the stretch and I really couldn't think of one, I couldn't, I couldn't get into the role of Dex of knowledge to get to there. Um, I mean, Nick, I, 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 can I say this as just a human being, Nicholas Latifi, the F1 driver, he's just a collapse, a human collapse, the, the worst sport, the worst, the worst athlete in the world right now, Nicholas Latifi. That could be Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, what's um? What shooters? What shooters? Shooter, yeah. Lead there in the tour championship. I don't know what the shot was. I think he was five under and happy fell around even. It's really the shank off the tee into the drink. You know, right after the guy says shooter's gonna choke. That's <laughs> the absolute snap hook into the drink that is kind of just there, probably for drainage purposes. It's not even truly a water hazard. Somehow, shooter found it. Um, that's, that's a pretty big collapse at the tour championship yep. that Perhaps. finished in a part of three. People forget that <laughs> a major championship tournament ending in a part three. That, that, that may be my favorite line is the, like the random guy happy, the jacket's yours. Shooter's going to choke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of others. I was trying to think of sports movie ones. That's how I got to the space jam one. Um, uh, just probably the Yankees team ones. that lost to the, um, that lost to the Indians and in, uh Oh, here's a movie league. one for you. Brutal job by the Empire against like Luke Skywalker and his band of idiots in the in Star Wars. I mean, get it, get it, figure it out with the Death Star and blow up some planets. That's a collapse. They did it twice. They had two Death Stars. Happy Gilmore's Happy Gilmore's hockey career. Mm. I don't know if that was ever started though. 
girlfriend's I mean, kids finger paintings the pretty much everyone game of thrones having all these dragons and the white walkers ending up with one i mean that was a pretty big collapse on their part they prevailed though so it doesn't really count but just losing the dragon stuff that's what i've always said yeah yeah all I, right. I, I I have also I have also always said that. I've also always said that. I think there's a pretty big basketball comeback in One Tree Hill at one point, but I can't remember the exact details. Well, so look I'm... at the Irish. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. Yeah. East High coming back against West High, getting Bolt, Troy Bolton back in the game. I don't even know if that's a comeback. I have to go back and rewatch that movie. Great movie. All right. Nick Hitter Medley, Maryland person of the week. Um Banks. Mm, the Baltimore Orioles oh. for having a great season. I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's such a cop out. It's such Re- a fucking cop out. I just got nothing right now. I mean, the Re- Bills Re- lost kind of crushed my soul for the first half of this week, and I'm just kind of getting out of the doldrums from that. And I was looking for a little uh, positivity, and we came out and we had a winning season for the Orioles. They kind of pushed it across the goal line there. Maybe I just give it to the Orioles pitchers for not pitching Aaron Judge. Kudos to them for 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 pitching around him completely and not giving him anything whatsoever in the strike zone. Kudos to them for that. Then they did pitch to him and he struck out six times. So. No, they absolutely pitched him the entire time. Like they would pitch any typical power hitter who swings and misses that slider is low and away. So, Docker. RDT. I'm just gonna retweet Banks's. I I had the Orioles. Yeah, it's just the Orioles. Yeah, I mean. Just put a bow on it. I've got a tie. I've got a tie between two. Uh, I'm going to start with the uh, Pandas kickball team, two and zero. The whole team pretty much in play last Thursday. Got a dub, up twelve runs, going to the double inning. We've got to figure out a way for this Volo League to give us the ability to get some runs back when we have to like defend for consecutive innings and don't get three more outs. We were clearly going to score five more. We should. I don't know how that they factor that in, but we have to figure out a way to get those runs back whatever. Uh, and then I have to give it, I have to self-serve once again um, to my Maryland men's soccer uh, team, Maryland men's soccer family, three, uh, two comeback win over Rutgers on Tuesday afternoon in a slog in Piscataway just rained all the time was up there for like 24 hours. It just never stopped raining. Classic New Jersey Rutgers gets all on the Terps goes up to nothing in the first half. Hunter George wonder strike. Gets it back to 2-1 before halftime. Malcolm Johnson, the Canadian kid, bicycle kick to tie. Then Nick Richardson, a good Baltimore. Good Baltimore lad. Went to Curly, fifth-year senior. Bangs it in, third goal of the year. To give us a 3-2 lead that we would not relinquish. Credit to those guys. Tough performance. All love to the players and the staff. All great people. Terps are 7-1-2, ranked number eight in the country. So, trying to win a Big Ten title. Shout out to shout out to my guys. Any honorable mention? This would have been the week to make chili, Don. The the yeah, chili. Just just that's why you make a bunch of it and you just have it. No, I can't. It's also soup season. I gotta, you know, I'm team chili and everything, but I love a good soup as well. Um, You know, people try to turn things into this versus that, try to take sides and bash the other. I'm I'm pro pro soup. I'm pro chili. I love it all. If it's liquid in a bowl, I'll eat it with a spoon. Yeah, okay. man. Warm me up, baby. Soup is very, very good. And we are firmly into hot soup season. It is it has been getting cold. Mm-hmm. It has been getting very, very cold. Um, 
I had one. I, I just go back to the Terps football four and one going to a big game mm. this weekend. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's a that's one we all co-sign there. Um, yep. Right now, the most consistent football team in the state of Maryland, which is stunning of the big three football teams: the Terps, the Ravens, and the Commanders. Well, I would John say the Feinstein, but consistently bad. bad. John so, Feinstein, John Feinstein wrote the Washington D.C. Sports Sucks column today. Awesome, I love that column. Where a, little just, early, like, a little earlier than than usual. Little early, yeah, little early, little early. Not even giving the puck at least. Not yeah. I was gonna say didn't even give the Caps a chance, which is probably why I wrote it right now. Didn't even give the cha- the Caps a chance to be decent. Did not even let them have it. Oh, we may have Banks warned us he was maybe gonna run out of battery. Oh. And he may have done it right before the end of the show. I was trying to rush it to the end here, but he is he is flailing, and uh, that is tough. But yeah, he wrote that column. Uh, and I gotta be honest, the Wizards, I don't think are gonna be like awful. No, but they're gonna be stuck in the purgatory that they always are. Yeah. Like, they're not awful. Yeah. They're not. They're not good. You know, it's like oh, they're gonna make a. You know, maybe they make a sit an eight seed. Maybe they make yeah. a seven seed, and it's like all right, sick. Cool. But the commanders are terrible. The Nats are terrible. They had DC United in there. I know not everybody cares about soccer, but I do. They they stunk this year. Um, I don't know what the Washington Spirit did in the NWSL. I don't even know if John Feinstein knows that's that exists. So that may not be in there. But um, and that league's having problems of its own. If you want to go down a rabbit hole, yeah, ooh, that is stuff not is great not stuff. good. That stuff is not good. Um, which is sad because as banks, we'll wait for banks to jump back on here. So honestly, the show is over. So if people just want to log off of the show. We're just going to chit chat. And like, we can get banks back on and just officially end the show. <laughs> Women's soccer can't get out of its own way. Like you have all these gigantic stars. It pops off for the Olympics and the world cup, and they cannot figure out a way to make the pro league work. It is so ridiculous. My, my takeaway of women's soccer is that D2 coach who went like, nine. Oh my God. What I, a story. I, 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 I have they just some beat a ranked team two weeks ago. I have some thoughts that? on that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, all right, maybe, the, maybe the tactics work. That's what my buddy said. Like, Hey, what? Like, oh, well, like my buddy was like, well, you, maybe you guys need to start paying for more DUIs because then, you know, you'll beat another ranked team. Um, I don't I have some thoughts on that, but I don't think I'm comfortable sharing them on, on, uh, on air. So yeah, that lady is a nutcase. So. Nutcase. That was wild. Nutcase. Did you guys bring it home already? Uh, we just, to- I just told people that they could, the show was over that, um, they didn't need to listen, but I was going to wait for you to officially end the show. We, we end with all three here. We end with a full boat. So but do you have any thoughts on, uh, do you have any thoughts soccer? on the D2 women's coach? Did you read that story? No, but are we still are we still high, technically on the episode? <laughs> yes. So I'm going to end it now that you've now well, asked that. Do I get to fire off my dead or alive person or what? Oh, dead or alive. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Regis Philbin. Oh, I mean, that is a doorknob. Yeah, he's dead. He died 2020. He just died, though. 2020. I like, yeah. completely forgot that that really, died. really good one, though, because I had to think about it because he was sneakily alive for a while. He was sneaky alive, but he was also sneaky just like around and just on TV. And then he's just hasn't been on TV for two years. But if I turned on like daytime television on ABC, I would flip through the channels and I'd be like, oh, yeah, Regis. I'm sure he's on somewhere. I'm sure he's, there's something going on with Regis. I'm, I don't know who he's paired with, but yeah, I like when I saw that name, I was like, oh, fuck. One of the all-time, and then we'll get out of here, one of the all-time Regis Philbin things 
is that he hosted an FS1 show Mm -hmm. right after the launch of FS1 that featured like Jason Gay from from um from the Wall Street Journal, a writer, Katie Nolan, mm-hmm. um, yeah. a- another like comedian. I'm trying to think who the athlete was. Oh, who was the freaking athlete? He probably oh, hated gosh. that I, so much. I need to see this <laughs> cast. I need to see this cast again. It just it, it was such a bizarre. It was like they're like, here's our like, you know, our afternoon show or whatever. Um, such a weird show. And then they, they expanded the Mike Francesa simulcast to replace it. That was the replacement. That's where FS1. <laughs> um, Trevor Price, I think was on it. Uh, wow. Former Raven. Yeah. I'm trying to find what the original lineup. I think he was on the original lineup just to, I mean, they just brought Regis out just out of nowhere to like be on the show. You, you know what we need to do? You need the Georgie Thompson, I believe, is on there too. Yeah. You you need to put the Mike Francesa. Ah, who cares? (laughs) After like you're dead or alive. Like when you tell us, (laughs) oh, dead or alive, like dead. Ah, who cares? Stanley died today. Got any thoughts? Who cares? (laughs) That Uh, that clip is one of my favorite. It is an amazing clip. He goes, Um, I don't don't know who he is. And the guy goes, Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's so good. Wants to be a millionaire. I mean, what a run that was! Incredible show. He's one of the best. The he's just the, one of the best. The the first time that that guy, like I remember watching live when that guy won the million dollars, and when he did the like, I'm gonna phone a friend and I'm gonna call my that dad. Was an and I'm winning a million dollars. I think I thought I was like, this is the best moment in TV history. Like nothing will ever. It be. might have. It might be. <laughs> it might be one of the best moments in TV history. That was unbelievable. Like I still watch that. Like when it, you yeah, know, it shows was... up on Twitter. Such a like Twitter didn't exist yet, and the buzz just everywhere you went the next day, like just everybody was talking about it. That show was an event. Yeah, that was awesome. I had the book, I had the video game, like I had the the trivia questions, I had it all. Like it was unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean that the like the music, the way they did the the like the lighting that show was perfect. It was perfect game, a perfect game show. It really, really was. Hundred seats in the house. Yeah, you having to do like the little like test, like the people in the audience having to do the little test to get on the show. Computer eliminate two answers and keep two of one of the right answers and one of the wrong answers. All right, AT and T, let's connect Brian with his dad, Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get Jimbo on the line now? I mean, the show's so damn good. And the best was like, they always are like acted like he's like, hi, I'm Regis Philbin. I'm calling from a TV show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I'm with your son. And they're yeah. like, oh, I've got yeah. your son, Eric. I've got your son, Eric. He's once. The video conferencing wasn't quite in a place where they could have done it that way. At the oh, time. yeah. I but think it, the it, phone call may have made it that much better, though. Yeah, I think I think we're going to be a hard relaunch of that in like a decade or so and well, it's they brought gonna, it they brought it's it gonna back be a, a great time. times yeah yeah, yeah they, they, it's syndicated it was syndicated for a while it was syndicated they that show british, will come back they had the british version and you know everything comes back um he's got a sixty four thousand dollars and he's going for one hundred twenty five thousand dollars like but if he loses he drops down to seven he drops down to one thousand dollars what a show all right on that note 
Follow us on social media at Exit 52 Podcast and all the plats. Follow Barstool Banks at Barstool Banks. You can follow Eric at E-D-I-T-T-I-22. You can follow me at Taylor Schmite 10. Please support all of our Fed, our Fed Thrill sponsors. Shout out to Fed Thrill. They're going to get mentioned twice. Our Exit 52 sponsors, Fed Thrill, Fed Little Midnight, Jimmy Seafood. We'll be back late, late night after Sunday night football, Ravens Bengals with an instant analysis episode that will drop Monday morning. Well, I guess Banks will have it up right after. So um, I guess if you're really up late, you can listen to us at like two in the morning if you're a night owl. But if not, you'll have it on your car ride and then we'll be back for the normal show during the week. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. We'll see you next time on the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy's Seafood.